My name is Wizzy Brown. And I'm Bryant McDowell. And I'm Molly Keck. And we're with the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service Department of Entomology, and this is Bugs by the Yard, where we hope to increase your enthusiasm about bugs in the urban landscape. Welcome back to Bugs by the Yard. This episode, we are going to be talking about insect metamorphosis. So when I talk about metamorphosis to quote unquote normal people, I generally break them down into two categories. We have simple, which is known as parometabolis. That's our big fancy word. And then we also have complete, which is known as holometabolism. And it really is going to be dependent upon how many life stages they had. So with simple metamorphosis, there are three life stages. They have an egg, they have several nymphal stages, and then they have the adult stage. And when we're talking about complete metamorphosis, they have four life stages. So they are going to have an egg stage, several larval stages, a pupal stage, and the adult stage. So common insects that have simple metamorphosis that you would probably see in your yard, grasshoppers, crickets, katydids, mantids, my favorite cockroaches, any of the, the true bugs like stink bugs, leaf-footed bugs. We also have aphids and the leaf hoppers. And then as far as complete metamorphosis, what do we have? We have beetles, we have ants, bees, wasps, fleas. Butterflies and moths. Butter, there you go. Butterflies and moths. I always forget them. <laughs> flies, all of our flies, mosquitoes. What else? I know there's there's more, but those, are, I guess, are the common things. Yeah. Neuropterans, all the lace bugs. Neuropterans, caddisflies. Oh, yeah. There you go. So when we're dealing with simple metamorphosis, the life stages, I said there's egg, nymph, and adult. The nymphal stages typically are going to look similar to the adult stages, but they do not have fully developed wings. So if you see an adult insect with fully developed wings and it is flying around, you, you know that that is some type of an adult. But if you see an insect that can't fly or doesn't have wings, that can either be an immature insect or it could be what we call an apterous adult or essentially a wingless adult insect. So only adult insects are going to have wings and are going to be capable of flying. So simple metamorphosis, the nymph looks similar to the adult. They're typically in similar locations, I'm going to say. And there are two kind of subsets. So I'm going to assign one of these to each of you. So Molly, how about you talk about ametabolus? So ametabolus insects, I remember this because A means none. So these guys have kind of, they do have a metamorphosis, but it's not noticeable. Um, and there's only a few of them that go through this. The Probably the one that's the most commonly known are springtails. If you're ametabolus, you gradually turn into an adult, but you don't possess wings as an adult. And so you don't have that really differating characteristic that tells you that you have an adult versus a nymph. So it's what springtails, bristletails, silverfish. Who else has it? Are those the only three? Diplurans? Aren't those? Yeah. Again, it's like kind of like springtails. They're small in the soil and not a lot of people know what like they little, are. 
archaic whatever things. And these are insects that we know are the oldest on the planet, probably because they just don't have this defined change. There's just, you know, they, they're just very primitive looking insects that everything about them is primitive, including their life cycle. I mean, that's pretty much it. They just, the egg hatches, they have nymphal stages and then they turn into an adult, but there's no way to tell the difference really between an old nymph and an adult because the adults do not have wings. I think with those, a lot of times I, how they tell that you have the adults is they actually dissect them to see if they have the sexual reproductive structures, which, you know, exactly. You know, if you're a normal homeowner, who cares? A silverfish is a silverfish and it doesn't matter if it's an adult or not. So you just want to get rid of them regardless. And they look the same, like with um, other insects there, when we talk about the parametabolus and the holometabolus, they have immature stages that don't really resemble. Like if you knew nothing about them, you may not connect the dots that those, that that baby turns into that adult. But with the ametabolus, they look the same. They, from the time they hatch from the egg, they essentially look like a miniature adult. Yeah. With the ametabolous insects too, do they continue molting even in adulthood? I think they do. Do they? I didn't which know that. Is another, which is weird another thing. weird thing for them. I learned something new. Okay, there we go. All right, Bryant, how about you uh, cover the hemimetabolous? Perfect. Yeah, so as Wizzy mentioned, the hemimetabolous, um, so they've got those three stages, egg, And then that nymphal stage is going to be aquatic. We call it a naiad. So they're immature stage. um, And then they will go from that naiad stage to an adult. And those stages can differ. They can have anywhere from like three to five, I think. So the immature is going to look similar to the adult. If you really know what you're looking for, there's really three groups that I can think of that fit this category. So it's going to be the damselflies, the dragonflies. Uh, which you typically are going to see flying around ponds or some sort of water source. And then stoneflies, which maybe if you're a little bit more of the experienced individual, you've seen them. Uh, You can definitely find them just at your porch lights, uh, typically around streams. They like flowing water, right? They're they're not typically in like a pond, a stonefly. Yeah, stoneflies are typically going to be in, I think, colder flowing water. So I don't know how many populations we have of them here in Texas, but if you go further North, then you may find them. Yeah. The ones that I've found here in Texas tend to be pretty small as adults too. And they can get rather large further North as well. Some pros, I guess, of having your immature stage, right? Aquatic and your adult stage out of the water flying around is the difference in food sources. So uh, let's say a dragonfly or a damselfly, for example, um, as a naiad are going to be feeding on all sorts of tiny microorganisms all the way up to, I've seen them consume, you know, things like fish and they've got these modified mouth parts that are really cool that they can use to sneak up on prey. And I believe that they actually can inject types of uh, like paralytic enzymes that kind of stun the prey uh, so they can eat. Um, As adults, they're really good predators. Again, with those modifications, even the dragonflies. So they've got kind of like basket shaped 
legs um, that they can use to capture all sorts of flying insects. We've all seen the pictures of a dragonfly's face. Their eyes are huge. They've got really great eyesight. They fly really well. Well, when you say that the dragonfly larvae will eat fish, they're not taking down like catfish or trout. Oh, yes, yes. They're like small fish. (laughs) Yes. Oh, my gosh. Could you imagine? That would be super cool. They're bass bass (laughs) fishing. (laughs) Very small fish. All right. And then there's the, uh, what about the emergence? How do they get from the immature naiad stage in the water to the aerial stage that is the adult that without damaging wings or having issues yeah so there's kind of this last stage uh, in that naiad stage where they will climb up let's say there's like sticks and grasses in the water they will climb up and do a molt from there i forget the name of it though what is that stage called the subamago. Oh, there you go. Subamago. That's a good ESA question that always comes out. So this is kind of kind of equivalent to a teenager, if you will, uh, <laughs> insect. So not <laughs> not quite an adult, uh, but they're not the immature like naiad form where yes, they will emerge out of the water. They I don't want to say pupate. It's not a pupation, uh, but they will shed that exoskeleton. Um, that is then their adult form after that subamago will shed its exoskeleton. From there, they do, I believe, what all the other insects will do. So pump their hemolymph or their insect blood through their wings, which will kind of extend them. They need a period where they're kind of harden up and then they will become adults. So let's talk a little bit more in depth about the complete or holometabolist. So these are going to have four life stages. They have an egg stage. They have several larval stages. They have a pupil stage and they have an adult stage. So here the larvae is going to look usually very, very different from the adult. And you're not really, unless you know what you're looking at, a lot of times it's very hard to associate the two with one another because they look so incredibly different from one another. So think about a monarch caterpillar versus the monarch butterfly, you know, completely different looking, but they are essentially the same insect. When we are talking about the larval stage for complete metamorphosis, that is kind of the broad term for that particular stage. So egg, larva, pupa, adult. There are specific names for different types of larvae that we can give that kind of give you a clue as to what it's going to turn into. So if we say caterpillar, that generally means that it's going to turn into a butterfly, moth, or skipper. If we say maggot, then it's going to be turning into some type of a fly. If we say a grub worm or a wire worm or mealworm, those are different names for types of beetle larvae. So they're all types of larvae, but they are more specific to what they're turning in. The third stage of complete metamorphosis is known as the pupil stage. So again, that's the larger term. Sometimes you will hear that called a chrysalis which generally refers to the butterfly pupil case. And 
the pupil case, when I started studying entomology, they used to call it a resting phase. And that always just cracks me up because, you know, when you think about the pupil stage, it's typically non-moving, non-feeding. It just kind of is there and you don't really see a whole lot of what's going on. And so I think that's why they kind of termed it the resting phase, but now you kind of hear it heard of as the transformation stage, which I think is more accurate because if you think about, you know, let's think about a, a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. There's a lot of stuff that is going on inside of the pupil case. It's just that we weren't necessarily able to see that transformation that was going on in there. And so the pupil stage is essentially that insect rearranging its body to turn into the adult. And that stage can really be different lengths of time, depending on what particular insect that we're talking about. Some are going to be in that pupil stage for a matter of days. Others can be in it for years. It's just really going to vary which I think that kind of leads us into some of the, the cool facts about insects with like longest life cycles and shortest life cycles and that sort of stuff. So what do you guys want to talk about there? Yeah, so I figured, yeah, if we want to start with shortest life cycles, those, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, are going to tend to be your incomplete metamorphosis insects. Those with the shortest life cycles, so things like the ephemeropterans, the mayflies, which will spend some time in their naiad stage in the water, right? Uh, that's where they're going to live most of their lives. Once they emerge, typically it'll be like a mass emergence. You'll see, I know I've seen videos online of people like driving their cars through a parking lot or there's like a random lit gas station and it's just like the sky is littered with these flying things and the road looks like it's almost slippery with bug guts. There's actually been accident reports from people that it's like sliding on ice because there's so many dead bugs on the that on or the like highway. the the windshield is just completely I mean you can imagine driving I, I guess here in Texas or like in the South, right? Like love bug season, our our windshields get pretty dirty. So that to like an exponential level, typically that adult stage only lasts like a week or so. Their main purpose as adults is going to be to find a mate and reproduce, lay eggs for the for the next generation. And that, like I mentioned, those those naiad stages are, are going to live a much longer life than that adult stage. Most of those, uh, I'm trying to think, mayflies don't even feed as adults. Another point will be, so we talked about the immature, incomplete metamorphosis insects having short lifespans. So this can be a problem for our, uh, our pest insects. So think things like the German cockroach, uh, which have a really quick life cycle, really quick turnover, which will allow them to reach very high population densities and kind of go unnoticed for a time uh, until there's really a problem. And it doesn't take long. I want to say their their typical life cycle is somewhere around, it's like 30 to 90 days. Is that correct? How are you referring to the life cycle? Are we going egg to adult or are we- egg, egg to reproductive adult, yeah. Then yes. 
egg to reproductive adult. And then, I mean, you think with the amount of eggs that each female is able to give rise to, if you let that go for, you know, six months, you've got an exponential population that you're dealing with. Are there any other short life cycles that are mentionable for you all? I'm reading a article currently from the University of Florida, and it's talking about there are Hessian flies that have a lifespan of four days. There is a trichogramma wasp, which is a parasitoid that lives 28 hours. And then there, this is the best one. There is a mayfly that lives 24 hours. But then there is, oh, this, this one's even, this one's the best. The mayfly, the set, and I am quoting this. So the mayfly, Dolania americana, the females typically live less than five minutes. And that is from an article from 1982 by Sweeney and Venotti. Five minutes. How do they mate in that time? That's insane. I don't know. They got to get cracking. <laughs> They all just hatch and they're all right, right there. And they just have a big old bug orgy and <laughs> yeah. pop out, die and come out of their body. <laughs> they got a line of boys waiting. Yeah. There's some insect mating rituals that last hours long. So thinking of like, that's, that's pretty five minutes. That's crazy. That is. So th- those are my noteworthy short-lived, short-lived. insects. Sorry, we always use yeah mayflies as that example, the short-lived, and it really did refer to the adult uh, stage. So, but I mean, that's crazy to know that five five minutes—that's the shortest I've ever heard yeah. of. So, well, and for those of you that like Latin, because I know if there is one particular person, a friend of mine, watching listening to this, I know that she likes her Latin words. The mayfly order is ephemeroptera. And so ephemera is essentially things that exist or enjoyed for short periods of time. So we have that base and that's actually where that comes from. All right. So let's go to longest. I think probably the, the one that probably comes to mind the easiest for people are probably the periodical cicadas that we have in the Midwest that we hear about. Yes. That was the one example I was going to give as well, where the species of the 17-year periodical cicadas. And that doesn't mean that you're only going to have mass emergences of cicadas every 17 years. So from what I'm looking at, there's three different species of those periodical cicadas. If you're listening and you're down in Texas, you're going to see those cicadas year-round. They're usually the the summer singers. I think the periodical cicadas that we have in Texas, the only population is kind of up near you, Brian. It's kind of in that Northeast Texas, but it's just like a really small pocket. The rest of them are mainly like Midwestern and East Coast kind of populations. I'd love to do a road trip. I mean, it's it's on my bucket list. Uh, oh my goodness. Let me know. Oh. Next time it hits Ohio, we can go up and visit my parents because they always have huge populations of perfect i wonder so the ones in texas do you know if they're like the are they like black as adults i have never seen the periodical cicadas here in texas i just when i was researching the because i went up to my parents and visited them and they had the the big cicada thing and so i was like oh are these in texas and 
it didn't have a whole lot of information because it's in such a tiny area. So I don't know what they look like. Mike Quinn might have some on his website. I don't know. I'll have to go look there. So when we also think of longest life cycle, so I'm going to kind of go into hollow metabolism insects, unless we find any other incomplete metamorphosis down the line. But a lot of these longer lived insects are going to have complete metamorphosis. And it could be that the larval stage is particularly long. It could be that they stay in that pupil stage for a couple of years. Or in some cases, the adult can even be rather long lived. I guess the examples I'm actually thinking of are going to be a lot of the hymenopterans. See, I think beetles when I think about long life cycles. Oh, that could be. So I, I think beetles for larvae. I think queen, like hymenopterans for. Oh, for like adult yeah, stages. For yeah, for adult stages. Oh, so, yeah. well then, okay, let's let's talk about beetles first. So what's what's the longest life cycle that, that you've come across? The article that I found, again, from the University of Florida, they have on here some beetle, the buprested beetle that was, let's see. 26, 26 years, it took them 26 years to emerge. And then there was a case of another beetle, a cerambicid. So both of these are wood boring beetles that was discovered in a birch bookcase for 40 years. It was in there. Yeah. I have another uh, chapter from University of Florida as well. One of the, uh, the buprested larvae that emerged after 51 years. Could you imagine? I mean, I, I personally would be, I don't know, delighted. Yeah. <laughs> if you just have this like random insect emerge out of something and it's like, well, where did that come from? Right. <laughs> it's like, it's been in there like forever. Did you already say this? How did they know it took 53 years to come out? This says under exceptional conditions, some individuals. So I'm assuming that this was a controlled environment. I okay. actually don't have. Oh, look at this. They know like, like they know when it crawled in or laid its egg or something like I, that. I'm assuming. Yeah, I'm assuming that because it's got all their methods listed here. Okay. Okay. These are from reports from like the 19. Some of them go back to 1918. Yeah. When they were doing like basic. <laughs> really basic. Right. <laughs> right. So I'm currently listening to a book. I feel like I might've mentioned this to you all. I might've mentioned this on another podcast. I don't know. I'm, it's taking me a while to get through it, but sting of the wild, all about the insect sting and, and hymenopterans and the evolution of that. And the insect that kind of bridged my interest uh, into the entomological world growing up were harvester ants. And if you've got them on your property, you know exactly what they're going to look like. But the nest is kind of this, it's a single entry point to the nest. It's usually going to have a bald patch three to six feet in diameter, I would say. Really amazing ants. I didn't realize that when a queen founds a nest, that is the same queen throughout the entire like longevity of, of the colony. There have been reports up to like 48 years that a single queen will live laying eggs. And I don't think that we know why it is they ultimately do, you know, succumb, whether it is that they run out of sperm from their initial mating. So those of you who don't know, some insects will have 
what's called a spermatheca. So they can mate once and then they will retain that sperm in their own body. And then they can kind of choose whenever they want to, based on different, you know, pressures, whether it be environmental pressures or whatever, if they're going to fertilize eggs, which will eventually become female or unfertilized eggs that are going to become male. So I really need to get with my grandparents and ask them, when did you first notice this nest? Because I'm 30, 31. It's been there the entire time that I can remember. So it's it's at least, I'm going to say, I'm going to be generous and say that my memory goes back to when I was eight. So I'm, I'm going to say at least like 22 years old. I find that fascinating. Could you imagine storing sperm for that long of a period. Apparently those colonies are very protective of their Queens too. So they found the average depth, I think is like, uh, it's like eight feet down. So if you imagine that colony that, I mean, the queen is in a chamber completely protected from the environment, protected from excess of moisture, protected from heat, protected from predators. So really, I mean, her job is to reproduce, reproduce more workers and all of the workers that you're seeing are being produced from that queen. So she's, she's busy. Let's talk about like common stuff. Cause people often ask me about, cause they think that obviously their reproductive cycles speed up with temperature when we're dealing with insects. So in July and August in Texas, we usually have warmer weather, et cetera, et cetera. And houseflies really start to become a problem. And that's because their life cycle is increasing. It doesn't take them as long to get from that egg to adult stage. So I think that usually takes about five to seven days on average for them to go from egg to adult when we have those really prime conditions. So that's why I always tell people, I'm like, if you have pets, pick up their waste on a weekly basis. That way you can kind of reduce the fly population. Mm-hmm. Other one, and that one has holometabolism. So that has egg, larva, pupa, adult. One that has incomplete or parametabolism with the egg nymph adult are aphids. And aphids seemingly explode overnight. But the weird thing with aphids is while they do have... <laughs> immatures, they have nymphal stages. They actually don't lay eggs, which is bananas. And we actually covered this way, way, way back at the beginning of Bugs by the Yard when Irfan was with us. Well, they, they can lay eggs. They just don't they have can. or I'm right. sorry. No, no, you're correct. I'm, I'm, conf- I'm ahead of myself. I, I was thinking of mating. Sorry. Yeah. So they're, they're essentially, they're pumping out babies. Mm-hmm. So you have aphids that are giving birth to more aphids that are then capable of producing more aphids. And so that's why their populations really get out of hand quickly if you're not keeping an eye on things. So if you have problems with aphids, it's a good thing to kind of monitor those populations and figure out when they're really kind of getting to levels that you're uncomfortable with. You know, they're kind of like cancer cells. Like they fill up the space. It doesn't tell them stop making more of myself. They just keep doing it until, you know what I mean? So they like, they're like cancer on plants a lot of times because they just go unchecked and they keep reproducing without any stimulus to tell them to slow it down. Yeah. So they have a couple of factors uh, that attribute to those large population sizes. So one, I learned it that when an aphid is born, so often 
times aphids have like their their babies are already producing their babies, right? Let's it's like they give birth to their grand babies. Does that make sense? Have you guys heard that? I've not heard yes. that, but I always well, it's say... it's like the the babies that they're laying can then lay Im- immediately. They can then lay more babies, and so and so they are. It's just like aphid apocalypse. And so aphids. Some people are probably like, "What? That's crazy! How does that even happen?" Because you know they haven't mated, right? And so aphids can reproduce what we call parthenogenetically. So they don't have to mate. They essentially will clone themselves. A, a couple of other insects i believe are known to do that uh, i think walking sticks can do it so that's why oftentimes you're not going to find uh like winged aphids so whenever you see winged aphids those are the ones that like you know that your population is actually reproducing sexually versus asexually and the winged ones are males correct i believe so yes so that's what's also amazing about them is they don't need a boy to reproduce they just make a clone but I think most people don't know anything about insect metamorphosis. And one reason why I think it's important is just because if you're talking about insects that hurt your plants, it's the immature stage that does all the feeding and does most of the damage. But we oftentimes don't correlate that baby to what the adult looks like. And so we don't catch them in time and we allow damage to happen and populations to kind of go out of control. So learn your babies, basically learn your bug babies if you want to keep your plants healthy. So two basic types of metamorphosis, we have simple or parometabolous that has egg, nymph, adult, and then we have complete or holometabolous, which has egg, larva, pupa, adult. So if you have further questions, look in the show notes or shoot us an email. Thanks for listening. Howdy to our listeners and fellow bug nerds. We want to take the time to tell you to check out our show notes on each episode and for more information and supplemental materials on the topics covered. Additionally, if you have any questions or recommendations for what you may want to learn more about, you can send us an email to www.bugsbytheyard at gmail.com. If you enjoy this content and would like to learn more about structural pests that may invade your home, check out our other podcasts, Unwanted Guests. Brought to you by Texas A&M University AgriLife Extension and the Department of Entomology. As always, please subscribe or follow the podcast feed to make sure you never miss an episode.